You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. A recent series of brazen attacks against Asian Americans has sent shockwaves throughout the country and brought renewed attention to the wave of anti-Asian violence that's been unleashed since the pandemic began. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program... As families throughout the Bay Area celebrate the Lunar New Year holiday, many within the Asian American community are also getting organized in response to those recent attacks. We're going to speak with a few of the leading advocates about what solutions they're pushing towards. We're having a racial reckoning, and Asian Americans are part of that. Then, later in the program, when the pandemic began gathering force a year ago, many expected San Francisco's Chinatown to be hit early and hard. We're going to speak with one local healthcare leader about why that didn't happen. So we all were working very closely together in, in sending out messages. First up, over the past few days, Asian American community leaders have been rallying local residents behind a call for decisive action in response to recent attacks against Asian Americans in the Bay Area's big cities. We're going to hear a bit more about the response that they're hoping to shape right now. So welcoming on to the program, Russell Jiang. He's a professor of Asian American studies at San Francisco State University, also the co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. It's a group tracking hate crimes targeting Asian Americans. Uh, Professor Jiang, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Happy New Year, Keith. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, welcoming on also Cynthia Che. She's the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action. It's a San Francisco-based advocacy group uh, and another one of the co-founders of Stop AAPI Hate. Cynthia Che, welcome to you as well. Thanks for having me, Keith. So let's start off discussing in a bit more detail the attacks that have taken place. Uh, Those have included a string of incidents that occurred on January 31st in Oakland's Chinatown, in which three older people were pushed to the ground. Um, uh, Meantime, in San Francisco last month, two older men died in attacks as well. And on top of those high-profile incidents, uh, there's been well over 20 other assaults and robberies reported in recent weeks as, as well. So, uh, Professor Jiang, uh, starting with you perhaps, uh, you've been tracking anti-Asian crimes uh, for nearly a year now. Help us put this all in context. Should we see what's been happening in these last several weeks as a sudden surge or as uh, a continuation of something that's been going on longer? I think what we're seeing now is a continuation of the racism that's been directed towards Asian Americans since around last Lunar New Year last year Um, because of COVID-19, the fears of it, but especially because of the political rhetoric, um, Trump's insistence on the term Chinese virus, people have been blaming and attacking Asians um, for being the source of the virus, for not really belonging here. And I think um, the current attacks have just instilled more fear and anger within the Asian American community. Uh, 
And uh, one more question with you, uh, Professor Jung. Uh, given that this is happening so close to the Lunar New Year holiday, uh, a, t- a time of celebration for uh, m- many, many hundreds of families and thousands of families around the Bay Area and uh, throughout the country, how does that add special poignance to these sorts of attacks and uh, the tragedies that have accompanied them? What's well, a really dark time. You know, <clears throat> Lunar New Year is a time to greet family and to honor and respect our elders, especially, you know, the first thing we do is to um, bow to our elders and to see Asian American seniors attack so wantonly. It's really distressing for, for me and I know for the rest of the community. 75% of Asian Americans um, surveyed sh- um, say they're fearful and anxious um, because of the racism that they might experience outside. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that fear is certainly coloring a time that uh, should be a time of joy. Uh, turning things over to you, Cynthia Che, uh, again with the uh, Ch- Chinese for Affirmative Action. So you have been uh, tracking these same numbers. Um, speaking in broad terms, it, it seems like the... Uh, 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 Law enforcement authorities are investigating these crimes not necessarily as hate crimes, uh, looking to them as as criminal matters. Uh, It seems like there's more to be learned. How do you think that the general public should be looking at these uh, crimes, keeping in mind that obviously there is more to be learned about them? Yeah, so Keith, um, what we do know um, is that, as you reported and, and Russell had shared, that over this past year, we have documented, um, you know, almost 3,000 incidents um, in the Bay Area alone. 700 um, incidents of hate from firsthand accounts and witness accounts. Um, so this has created a climate of fear and anxiety among Asian Americans, and these recent incidents are obviously contributing to that. And whether they're racially motivated or not. Um, it's had a profound impact on our community um, and across the country. You know, that's why this weekend we are holding events to really lift up and show love for our people and to call for more investments um, so that we can recover and heal and really get at the underlying causes and drivers of um violence and crime. And just want to flag for our listeners that uh, that we're talking about uh, two rallies that are going to be taking place in San Francisco and uh, Oakland. And depending when you are listening to this program, those rallies might be in the future or they may have already taken place. So just a little bit of a programming note. Um, But uh, fair to say that rallies are taking place this weekend and uh, trying to push back uh, against this violence and uh, raise some awareness. And uh, I suppose one of the things to raise awareness about is the nature of the the 700 incidents within the Bay Area that you're, you're talking about right there, uh, Cynthia Che. Uh, t- tell me, what should we be thinking about when we think about uh, these hateful incidents? What have they looked like? Yeah, so what we're seeing, um, you know, across the country is uh, very similar patterns where, you know, it's, it's largely verbal harassment um, and verbal attacks while people are Uh, in their public spaces, um, going to the grocery store, walking around their neighborhood. And um, so that's where a majority, over 70%. And then you see a um, smaller percentage of what we would consider potential civil rights violations. Um, So workplace discrimination, uh, refusal of service, and actually a very small percentage of our cases are actually potentially 
hate crimes so that there has to be criminal aspect to to the incident um, and that there's some sense that it was motivated by hate and discrimination um, towards a protected class. So with that data, I mean, one of the things that I think we are really proposing is that we look at um, ways to, to address these root causes of the hate. Russell talked about the racist rhetoric, the anti-climate environment, both in terms of policies as well as um, you know what we're seeing in our country today are divisions along racial lines. We're having a racial reckoning and uh, Asian Americans are part of that. And so I think that the things that we're calling for are more resources that should be invested in communities who are on the ground trying to address the immediate harm. But again, um, looking at the ways that we can address the underlying causes of, of violence and crime and, and hate. Yeah. And and you talk about uh, a racial reckoning there. And uh, we should mention that uh, Stop AAPI Hate was uh, founded last year as a response to some of this racist rhetoric and the uptick in uh, racial uh, crime and, and hateful incidents. And and I think that over the course of those many months there, as you said, has been something of uh, an awakening uh, on, on many fronts in terms of racial issues and, and uh, Americans coming to terms with some of the challenges that still exist. And uh, we've seen some more of that in uh, appeals over the last couple of weeks from uh, prominent Asian Americans that there needs to be yet more awakening, in particular folks making the case that uh, oftentimes uh, Asian American issues go overlooked in the public discourse. Uh, Professor Jiang, I'm wondering if you could uh, reflect on that point uh, for a moment, just uh, the the notion that oftentimes some of these issues are, are, are not discussed as, as fully as they should be. Right. I think it is true that Asian Americans are underrepresented in um, getting media attention, getting political attention, um, because oftentimes we're a largely immigrant population, but we're not invisible to ourselves. We recognize the problems, the racism we've been experiencing, the violence that we've endured over decades and centuries while in the U.S. So it's not a new issue to the Asian American community, the racism we're experiencing, the violence we're experiencing. But I am really heartened by how the Asian American has mobilized at this moment. Stop API Hate has received support from Asian Americans from all walks of life. We have data scientists, we have marketing people, we have high school students, we have clergy all coming around to stand up against this hate. And so having celebrities and athletes um, voice our concerns, sharing it on media has been really a powerful tool. And I think that's why we're seeing so much attention to the crimes against our elderly is because our community is, is rising up together in collective voice um, and working together to address the issues and calling attention um, that other communities need to support us and need to um, address, you know, Asian American racism isn't an Asian American issue. It's others issues directed towards us. So we want others to take responsibility for implicit biases that they hold against us. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to get into some of the responses that you're looking for in a bit more detail in just a second. But real quick, I want to remind anybody that uh, might just be joining us that you are listening to KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, we're discussing the recent wave of attacks against Asian Americans and considering what it will take to 
tamp down on the hate that's been unleashed by the COVID-19 pandemic over the past year. Joining us for that conversation, Russell Jung. He is a professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University, also the co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate, uh, joined as well by Cynthia Che. She's the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action, another of the co-founders of Stop AAPI Hate. And uh, Cynthia Che, Let's get into some of the uh, demands and some of the proposals that are being put forward uh, over the past couple of days. There has been a lot of organizing and many uh, prominent Asian-American groups within the Bay Area have uh, signed onto a list of uh, proposals or demands. Uh, Could you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, Keith. So um, I'm extremely proud that Asian-American organizations um, have come together across the Bay Area to really call for an um, action um, while also holding up and expressing love for our elders, our most vulnerable community members. And really our demands enter around this notion of community accountability uh, and holistic responses to generational harm uh, and violence. And what that looks like specifically is that we need to create more culturally relevant and trauma-informed investments. So we have, on all accounts, failed to support victims and their families of all backgrounds and language abilities um, who need a full range of supportive services to fully recover and heal. Secondly, we need to expand intervention and prevention-based programs that really are addressing the basic needs of people food, housing, opportunities, and the infrastructure to support that. And then finally, we need the resources to be able to do cross-community education and the healing work between, especially between the Asian American and Black community. The only way that we're going to get through this is if we can humanize rather than demonize each other. Um, Structural racism is able to be maintained because we're being pitted against each other. And our communities are coming together to say, we reject that notion. Um, And we very much see um, and denounce uh, any efforts to try to do that, to demonize um, others. Um, And we think it is possible to actually call out uh, the hate and the racism and the violence while also supporting other communities because until we're we're all safe, no one is safe. Mm. And uh, I was listening to a press conference that uh, you and some of the other uh, leaders from these uh, Asian American groups in the Bay Area held earlier this week. And one thing that many of those leaders made a point to say that they were not calling for was an increased police presence or more policing. Uh, outline the thinking there, if you could. Yes. Yeah, so we have to recognize that traditional means, which is like an over-reliance on law enforcement approaches, hasn't kept our, you know, kept us safe. And for many communities, um, in particular in the Black community, um, who's been disproportionately killed um, by police, we really have to ask ourselves, you know, what is really going to make all of us safe? And I just want to point out that There was a case in uh, Philly, um, Christian Hall, who is an Asian American who was having a mental health crisis. 
and the police were called and he ended up being killed. Um, so there's lots of conversations right now here in San Francisco. Um, you know, we receive over 21,000 or the police receives over 21,000 calls that are um, really mental health or behavioral health related matters. And um, the thought there was that instead of really calling the police, they should be diverted to crisis response teams that are comprised of social workers, mental health professionals who can really handle those types of situations much better um, and more safely. And so we think that that's a really great direction that we actually respond to people who are hurting in a much more compassionate and effective um, ways. Mm. And uh, Professor Jung, again, with uh, San Francisco State University, you know, this is a set of issues that uh, tragically we've been dealing with for far too long. And, uh, you know, a a year into this pandemic, we're we're still talking about all this. Uh, I'm wondering if you could just offer some closing thoughts on what you would hope that uh, folks keep in mind as we continue to look for solutions to this issue. I think we really need to look at the root issues of racism against Asian Americans. And one of them is white Christian nationalism, this cultural framework that says um, the U.S. um, should be actually seen in figuratively and literally black and white terms, that America is primarily a white nation um, and African-Americans also belong. But those who are outside that racial binary, binary, Latinx, Asians, can be excluded and shouldn't be allowed to migrate anymore. So um, white Christian nationalism aren't even necessarily white evangelicals, but people who have a framework to think that um, we need to go back to the past, um, exclude others, keep America pure. And so the racism against Asian Americans is that they perceive us as outsiders and also defiling the health and purity of the nation. So that type of ideology that excludes Asians has been driving the racism, and we need to develop a deeper understanding of an inclusive, multicultural society for the U.S. Mm. And we do know that uh, some of the suspects involved in these cases are people of color. How does that uh, complicate some of what you're talking about there? I think in some ways they also buy into this um, notion of Christian nationalism, that Asians aren't uh, are heathen, they're pagan, and um, oftentimes I even think Asian American Trump supporters espouse a lot of these Christian nationalist ideas as well, saying that they got in legally, but others don't. And so again, it's very black and white thinking that's more conservative. All right. Well. Uh, a meaty topic and uh, a lot to think about as we continue to struggle through this uh, really painful, difficult set of issues. Uh, Professor Russell Jung with San Francisco State University and Stop AAPI Hate. Uh, thank you very much for being on KCBS In Depth. Thanks, Keith. Also been speaking to Cynthia Che. She is the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action. Cynthia Che, thank you as well. Happy Lunar New Year, Keith. Thank you. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, following 12 very challenging months, 
This Lunar New Year weekend, there is an awful lot to reflect upon for the Bay Area's Asian American community. We're checking in with a few community leaders for their perspective. Up next, a pandemic success story. When the virus first began spreading in the Bay Area last year, early fears landed on San Francisco's Chinatown as a place where a severe outbreak might occur. Those fears were so widespread that many residents were afraid to even set foot in the neighborhood, and local business dried up seemingly overnight. But one year later, Chinatown has defied those early expectations, maintaining an infection rate that's consistently been among the lowest in the city. How did this happen? Some people were saying, oh, it's by luck. It's not by luck, trust me. Dr. Jan Zhang. I mean, my team is drowning, has been drowning, working on this. As the chief executive of San Francisco's Chinese hospital, located in the heart of Chinatown, she's helped lead a local mobilization of healthcare workers and others to confront the virus, a mobilization that began gathering force just before 2020's Lunar New Year. January 24th, 2020 was Chinese New Year Eve. That was the day that I received a call from Chinese consulate uh, asking me to order uh, N95. And, and guess what? That's when we found out that there was a bad order exactly a year ago. The discovery that those N95 masks were already sold out was a troubling moment for Dr. Zhang because at the time, she too worried that Chinatown was vulnerable to the virus. The cause for concern? Well, take for starters, the frequent travel between the neighborhood and Wuhan, China, the origin of COVID-19. We have direct flight from Wuhan, only 12 hours. And she knew that soon, many would be returning on those direct flights from family visits for the holiday. And because we're monitoring the community, we kind of know, right, what, what is going on. And we, 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 we worry. And then the other challenge. Chinatown, it's uh, one of the most densely populated areas in the nation. The neighborhood's 22 square blocks are filled with single-room occupancy hotels, oftentimes with several people living together in close quarters. And then they, they share bathrooms and share kitchen. So in an area like that, you know, it would be, if there's an outbreak, it would be terrible. It would be very, very difficult to control. So, hoping to outrun the virus, by early February, local organizers had already launched a multilingual public education campaign to encourage safety measures and proper hygiene. And that campaign was followed up by an aggressive testing and contact tracing effort throughout the neighborhood. Dr. Zhang says getting that early start made all the difference. Because that we were able to get uh, started uh, so early, and then we, we uh, put in the policies, and then we formed the COVID team. We, we uh, started the COVID hotlines. So we were able to work with the community leaders and the media. And a lot of Chinese media, you know, you know that there's the uh, World Journal, there's uh, Sintao, and there's the China Press, and there's the KTSF. There are a lot of Chinese radios too. So we all were working very closely together in, in sending our messages. And so, Dr. Zhang, it seems like those efforts have largely paid off. Uh, there have been uh, a few outbreaks within the neighborhood, but uh, really Chinatown seems to have avoided the very worst of this pandemic. And uh, it seems like the community ties that you've been talking about there really have played a crucial role. Uh, Chinese hospital itself is an institution that's been in the neighborhood for a hundred years uh, plus. So wondering if you could reflect a little bit on uh, the role that those 
community ties have played in getting this message out, in mobilizing people? I mean, have they have they have they been helpful? Absolutely. I think that the Chinese hospital we call a people hospital, right? So it's owned by the community. It was built by the community, owned by the community. It's there to serve the community. So I think that people trust us, right? So when we tell them uh, what to do, they they do it. They actually listen to us. They co- uh, uh, cooperate with us. And so I think that make a huge difference. And uh, we, we also have to acknowledge that this is a virus that has been racialized since the very beginning. You know, if we think back to the rhetoric coming out of the White House in early 2020, we were hearing words like the Chinese virus, Kung flu, and it seems like that rhetoric has engendered some amount of fear directed towards Chinese Americans, some anger, uh, as well as uh, some fear directed towards Chinatown itself. And uh, we saw that with uh, the ways in which people were staying away in the early days of the pandemic. Do you think that, in, in your view, does the success that you and your colleagues have had in beating back this virus, does that in any way also beat back some of these uh, fears and misperceptions? Absolutely. So I, I think it's a really irresponsible for uh, former President Trump to call it Chinese virus and call it Kung flu. And um, we actually, uh, that's another reason why, too, I think it is for me to say, you know, to tell the community we cannot have a, an outbreak in Chinatown. And I think our model is a community model. Everybody uh, uh, work together, right, to prevent uh, the, the outbreak in Chinatown. And I think our model has uh, proved that COVID-19 is preventable and controllable. It's definitely not uh, a, a Chinese virus. It can infect anybody, right? So I think that- It's a human virus. Exactly. So that's why I think that we should work together to prevent uh the spread of the virus and to control the outbreak so we can end uh, this pandemic. Right. Of course, uh, that's what we're all working towards. So uh, I suppose in closing, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that effort is going to look like in uh, the year ahead. Uh, There's obviously a lot of work to be done to make sure that the vaccine gets to all residents and also just a a lot of uh, rebuilding to do in Chinatown, given the the massive hit that businesses have taken and all the other dislocations. So what does this process look like from your perspective? Great question. I actually forgot one point I really want to point out is that we are at this point preparing the community for reopening. And then because COVID is one thing, economics is another thing, right? So we, we a lot of small business owners actually, uh, they, they are struggling because a lot of the restaurants are closed and a lot of the, the stores in the communities at this point are still closed. We really need to help the community to get ready to reopen. And so we offer to help them um, uh, to, to help test their 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 employees, especially restaurant, right? So they they really need to uh, make sure that their their uh, workers are not uh, COVID positive, but not spreading the virus. So we we're helping them uh, on that, and then we really are working with the community associations to to get ready and schools to get ready to to reopen. I think that's very very important. So in a way reopening Chinatown is going to be every bit as difficult as closing it down in the first place was. Exactly. Even even more challenging. All right. Well, a lot of work to do. And uh, we do wish you and your colleagues the absolute best of luck. Thank you very much for being on the program. That was Dr. Jan Zhang, the chief executive of Chinese Hospital. Thanks again. Thank you. 
This has been KCBS In-Depth. Remember, you can find past editions of the program online at the KCBS website or wherever you get your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. Happy Year of the Ox. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.